we need opportunities to be able to sit together and experience something together um, despite race, despite age, despite economic status. And I think theater is a perfect opportunity for that, for you to come together in an audience and they have this common experience. That's Sam White. She's the founder and artistic director of Shakespeare in Detroit. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Sam White was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And she believes that if any city can relate to the work of William Shakespeare, it's Detroit. In fact, that belief has become the bedrock of her life. The 33-year-old put her money where her mouth is and started Shakespeare in Detroit a professional theater company that performs in venues throughout the city, from the park to the recycling center, wherever Sam thinks she can introduce new audiences to Shakespeare. That was 18 months ago. That was 18 months ago. In that time, Shakespeare in Detroit has been recognized in various magazines and in television features. Sam has given a TEDx talk, and Cranes named her one of Detroit's 40 Under 40. But Sam White also works multiple jobs. She's drained her bank account and given up her apartment to save on rent. She pumps everything she has into the company. And she brings a joyful passion to her determination to turn the spotlight on Shakespeare and on Detroit. Sam White describes Shakespeare in Detroit as a site-specific theater company. Which means what exactly? That means we perform in the places where people live, where they work, and then also where they play. Depending on what type of show we're doing and the concept for the show and the vision for the show, that kind of dictates where we do it. So right now we're doing King Lear at a college here in Detroit, Mary Grove College, and I'm very excited about that. First, why Shakespeare and Mm -hmm. why site-specific? Well, personally, I love Shakespeare. I have for a very long time. Um, And it makes sense to me to do Shakespeare in Detroit because um, Shakespeare has centuries of proven consumer engagement. And I thought when I started the theater company that it would be great to have one in this city um, because tourism is a, a key factor to having a healthy, thriving city. And people all over the globe go or travel to different Shakespeare festivals and, and Shakespeare companies to see the Bard's work. And so I think in order for us to entice people who maybe have never been to the city before, it makes sense to have a Shakespeare company so that w- once people get here to see our plays, they can also support other businesses like restaurants and um, shopping facilities. So it not only makes creative sense, it, it makes business sense as well. How did you come up with the idea? Well, I was on a bus trip to the Utah Shakespeare Festival, and um, I visited there. I saw about three plays, I think, three or four plays. And when I was on my way back, I was living in Vegas at the time, I thought to myself, well, if they can do this in the middle of the desert, um, then we can surely do something like this back at home in Detroit where we have historical sites and venues that would be perfect for Shakespeare's work. And so when I returned to Detroit, that's when I started kind of building the the idea because at the time that's all it was. And um, four or five years later, we have an actual theater company. So it's very exciting. Again, it just makes perfect sense for me, I think, to have the opportunity to do something like this because I think there is a a hunger for Shakespeare in the city. I mean, did you take to Shakespeare the first time you read it? Was it love at first sight? 
No, I didn't like it when I was first exposed to it. My mother gave me the complete works of, of Shakespeare, and I hated it because I didn't understand it. At first, um, it took a few years for me to really be able to wrap my head around it, and that was because when I was a kid, she gave me the complete works when I was eight. I really hadn't lived, so I didn't have a lot of experience to relate to the characters, and also the language for me was, was pretty intimidating. But after spending some time with the text, um, I got it. It opened up for me, and I started to love it about the um, I was probably a teenager, about 16 or 17 years old, and now I love it. But no, initially it was punishment because I would try to listen to, to rap music, and my mom wasn't a fan. She still isn't. And so uh, she, she told me if I liked the lyrics so much, I would have to read Shakespeare, and she gave me that book. And that hate <laughs> eventually turned into love for his plays. Well, here's my question. When you disliked it so much, what made you keep on going or keep returning to it? We've always been, my family, um, really big readers. And so if my mom was reading, we were reading too. So I kind of just developed the, the routine of constantly reading his works by constantly reading with her. So if she would be on, on one end of a, a couch or sofa, I would be on the other end reading whatever she was reading. And so it wasn't really a choice in the beginning. It was something that was required in our household when I was younger. And because I read it so much, it, it grew on me. And now it's, it's a love and it's a passion and, and a theater company. And you grew up in Detroit. I mean, you're not coming from somewhere else to come and save the city. No, no. I came from uh, Seven Mile in Greenfield. That's where I was born and raised. I'm, I'm a Detroiter through and through. I went to Wayne State University. I've lived here most of my life, except one year when I moved to Vegas because I thought I was going to be the next Rodney Dangerfield. Other than that, I've been home the entire time. Um, so, yeah, I'm a Detroiter. And um, as they say, use what you've got. So I, I love Shakespeare. And so I thought if I was going to give back to my city in any way, I was going to do that by using something that I love uh, to help the community that, that raised me. You mentioned stand-up comedy. What else? Tell me about your background. Um, well, I've been acting and dancing and singing my entire life. I no longer do that because I just don't have the time because I'm producing Shakespeare. So, um, yeah, I've been entertaining in some sort of facet uh, since I was about three. So... That, that spans a couple decades or so. <laughs> so it's, it's been a long um, artistic journey for me, but I finally found my home as a producer. I actually enjoy it more than acting, to tell you the truth. Tell me why. I, I find it um, satisfying to be able to give my friends and, and my acting colleagues the opportunity to work, and especially to do uh, work in the fine arts. It's, it's always wonderful to me when I can have a um, play that, that's going to be attended by 800 people at New Center Park, for example, and be able to hire 11 of my artist friends or actor friends to be a part of that experience, or my costume designer friends or my scenic designer friends. For me, I get more satisfaction from the ability to put other people to work as opposed to me just finding work for myself. Instead of it being a dream that's kind of just built on uh, the ego of being an actor, it's, it's a dream that's built on spirit and the idea of helping others to uh, be a part of this journey with Shakespeare in Detroit. We have our actors and our wonderful talent here, and I think people don't often think of Detroit as the home of of actors or artists who do wonderful things on stage. And so we're able to showcase our talent, and I love being kind of the facilitator for that. You know, I have to say, until I was doing the research for this interview, I had no idea the extent of theater in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, we're one of the top five uh, theater communities in the country. I just, I think it's often overlooked because people just don't think of this town that way. Um, it's most often thought of as being blue-collar town, and it is. For sure, but we have a, a really robust artist community and creative community, and there's a ton of actors in this town. 
Now let's get to some practical matters here. You had this wonderful (laughs) idea. Then what did you do? How did you begin? Well, I I actually prepared by going to an incubator actually in Midtown. It's it's called Tech Town. I think I was the only creative entrepreneur there, but I kind of wanted to come in and, and learn as much as I could so that I could leave with some of the same sensibilities as someone who would run any other startup, whether it was a tech or food or some sort of financial startup. I wanted to come in with that same sensibility because although theater is a, a creative thing, it's it's also a business. And so I wanted to be able to run it so that we could be sustainable and we weren't just doing something that was fun so that we could last as long as an institution that I uh, look up to or admire, Michigan Opera Theater. We want to be here for a while. So I did that. I prepared. It took about a year for us to finally get our first show up on its feet, and that was Othello. It took that long because I had to do some convincing. People tend to have better things to worry about than starting a Shakespeare company in the city. And so um, after doing some pitching, I was finally able to find the support to do a show at Grand Circus Park, which is right outside of Comerica Park in downtown Detroit. We did Othello. I knew for sure my mom would come, but that's the only person I knew would attend for sure. But we had about 500 people show up for that performance, which was inspiring for me. And I figured, okay, well... Let's try and do this again. So we did our second show, Antony and Cleopatra, um, at a recycling center called Recycle Here in New Center with all recycled or repurposed materials for costumes and set pieces. We had about almost 800 people show up for that show, so that inspired another show. We've pretty much been taking it on a play-by-play basis, and now we're on our sixth production. As long as people keep supporting, we'll keep doing shows Um, Because it's all about audience support and community. We need them to survive. And so, so far, they've supported and we've been able to continue. And now we're going to celebrate two years of of Shakespeare. What about the initial money? Where where were you able to get that? Fortunately for our first show, it was fully sponsored. So um, we have the support of Quicken Loans for our first show, which was wonderful. It was a a one-night-only production, which was fine because it was a great way to get our feet wet. And then for the second show, Detroit Soup, which is an organization that's pretty um, much, I guess you would call it angel funding, where the community donates for a particular entrepreneur to be able to do a certain project or thing. And that funded Antony and Cleopatra. And then our other shows were also sponsored fully by the parks that we perform them in. With this show, King Lear, King Lear is fully sponsored by me. So this show isn't, we don't have a corporate sponsor. I, I'm the sponsor. I'm producing this, this show solely. I have to tell you the truth, though. We we were hoping to do Macbeth this summer, and I'm not sure that that one is going to happen because, again, we, we take it show by show, and depending on how much support we get, that dictates whether we can do a show or not. And at this time, we, we don't necessarily have the support to do Macbeth. So we'll do King Lear for sure next month, and Macbeth is, is tentative. Did you try Kickstarter or other crowdsourcing? We did for sure. We're actually um, doing an Indiegogo campaign right now for our summer performances. In an effort for us to continue our 2015 season, we have about 21% of our goal with less than two weeks to reach the actual goal. The goal was 15000 So um, that's why I mentioned Macbeth being tentative. That show was planned to be our, our free show because we always try to do one free show a year because that is part of our mission to have accessible theater so that people who don't necessarily have the ability to buy a theater ticket can at least see one of our shows a season. Unfortunately, again, if we don't get the support to do it, though, we won't be able to do a free show this year. But hopefully we can come back next year if it doesn't happen this summer. But you still have two weeks. Less than. Less than two weeks. And you never know what can happen in that time frame. So 
yeah, we definitely could make it happen if, if we get the support to do so. And we're excited to perform it if the opportunity affords itself. How do you support yourself? I work. I have, well, at this time, I, I have four jobs. I, I don't have five anymore. It was five, and now I have four. <laughs> so I have four. And typically, all of it except what absolutely can't goes goes towards the theater company. Um, because even if we have sponsorships, they don't necessarily cover all of our expenses. Theater is very expensive. I think um, that's kind of something that people don't know either. Because if, if you're not in theater, you don't realize just how expensive it can be. For it to be a really awesome production, you have to to spend some funds or else it turns into a community theater project. And we're a professional theater company, which means we have to um, perform at professional standards. And so... Yeah, that requires me to work a lot to make sure that these plays turn out the way that I envision them in in my head. Are you a not-for-profit or for-profit? Yeah, we're in the process. Um, When I started out at um, Tech Town, which was my incubator, I I wanted to go there because three of the, the smaller theaters here in southeast Michigan had closed their doors permanently. So the template that they were working with wasn't working. And so um, at the time, I thought perhaps we could come up with something different and be a hybrid. We found it necessarily to change our entity to a nonprofit. And so that's what we're doing. Again, it still comes back to the community supporting us, showing up for our shows, and also when we're in the process of fundraising, helping out with that as well. Now, connecting with audiences, yeah. clearly that's one of your missions mm-hmm. with Shakespeare in Detroit. Talk about some of the ways you go about doing that. Well, that could be anything, whether it's me literally going door to door, which was something I did last summer, and introducing myself to people and to small businesses and letting them know about Shakespeare in Detroit. Um, I did that around the neighborhood that's surrounding the whole old high school that I went to. And speaking of the old high school I went to, um, they had a brand new state-of-the-art theater, and they had never performed theater in that theater. They had the building that I, I attended when I was in high school at Mumford High School in Detroit is gone now, and they have a really new, beautiful, fancy building. And so I wanted to go back to my alma mater and perform, and especially after I heard that they hadn't done any theater in there beautiful theater. So we went and we did Romeo and Juliet there and we were able to connect with about 24 students at my old school who had never even seen a theater production, let alone Shakespeare. So that was pretty wonderful. And also, again, it all comes back to those free shows, being able to give people the opportunity to come see theater who may not otherwise have that chance. And because we usually perform in parks, the parks are located near bus stops and they're very accessible. Even if you ride a bike or you have to walk to our performances, you can get there because they're usually centrally located in a park that anyone can get to. And they get to see the shows for free. So um, that's how we've been able to, I I think, create the impact that we've created because um, we don't celebrate our second anniversary until August. So it's been 18 months and we've engaged with 3000 people so far. And I consider that a, a success. And it's because We've opened doors for people who who maybe didn't get a chance to see a show before. Do you remember the first time you saw Shakespeare performed? Do you remember where that was or what the circumstances were? I saw Shakespeare actually performed for the first time when I was 14, but that was in a movie. That was Othello with Lawrence uh, Fishburne. Other than that, I had been reading Shakespeare mostly. So you were able to so visualize it as you read it. Yeah, and even to this day, I'm a page-to-stage type of person. We're performing King Lear. We're actually in rehearsals now. I've read the play in the last six months ten times because I have to get the visual in my head, and then it makes sense to me on stage. I can't see something on stage and then go back and read it. Yeah, by the time I was 17, I had probably read the complete works I don't know, 20 times. So the visual kind of 
lived in my head. But that's nothing for my mom. You should see how much she reads. <laughs> was there arts ed at Mumford High School when you were a student there? No. No. I, I would have to say all of my arts education in Detroit public schools came from my mother. Um, and that's not to say that all schools in, in the Detroit public school system are like that because I only attended, you know, one high school. So I can't speak for them all. Um, but no, my experience at Mumford, there wasn't a theater program at all. So it was really um, very sweet for me to be able to go back and do do Shakespeare there. Let me ask you this. You did Antony and Cleopatra yeah. at Recycle Here. I cannot help but be curious about that conversation when you came, you know, knocking on the door of the recycling center and asking if you could do a play there. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is uh, Matt Naimi, who who runs that recycling center, is the like coolest person in the world. And, and he is a huge arts ad- advocate and an artist himself. And so typically artists of all kinds ask him to use that space, and he usually says yes. So he said yes to us, too. I saw him at um, TEDx Detroit, and I approached him and asked him if he minded if we kind of filled his space with Shakespeare for a couple of weekends, and he said absolutely. Now, us pulling it off was probably one of the hardest things I've ever did in my entire life because – It was actually this time last year because we opened on March 15th and it was very cold outside. It was snowing. The inside of the recycling center was wet, but people still showed up. Every single night we were pretty much sold out. Um, All of our shows except for the matinee, people came. They were wrapped in blankets. They had on their boots, their gloves, their hats, and they sat there for almost three hours to watch Antony and Cleopatra. That's extraordinary. It was fun. It was a, I, I told the audience, hey, we're going to give you something you won't ever forget, and hopefully you leave with all of your toes because it's very cold in here. But they all left with their toes, and they all left, I think, pretty inspired, too, because I think if, if we could pull something off like that, then um, that kind of, I think, makes people think, okay, if you can do Antony and Cleopatra and recreate Rome and Egypt in the middle of a recycling center, then anything is possible. Well, you're also determined in the way that you stage these plays to really make explicit their relevancy to not just people in the 21st century, but to Detroit. Yeah, and that's why um, oftentimes when I'm when I'm choosing the plays, I try to make them practical and I try to make them have some sort of tie to the city. And if there's not a tie to the city, something that's really personal. So we chose Othello, or I chose Othello, um, as the first show. Not only because I liked it, but because at the time we were um, having a mayoral election and one of the candidates was experiencing a lot of controversy because he didn't look like the the population of Detroit. So people were questioning his legitimacy and his resume and his qualifications. And I felt like he could relate to Othello, who was they called him the valiant Moor, But despite his his qualifications and his resume and, and all that he had to bring to Venice and to make it better, people were still questioning who he was because he didn't look like everybody else in Venice. And so we did that play for that reason. And then with Antony and Cleopatra, we chose that to represent kind of old and new Detroit. You had the Romans who were kind of holding on to the past and they wanted the Egyptians to appreciate history and all that they had been through. And then you had the Egyptians who represented New Detroit, and they loved innovation, and they didn't really care so much about the past and just wanted to look forward. And and those things kind of pulling at each other and that tension paralleled Detroit in a really beautiful way. And so I hope people picked up on that when they came and saw Antony and Cleopatra. And you're also very committed to diversity both on the stage and in the audience. 
Yes, very much so. Um, We have a really large theater community in Detroit. I oftentimes go to a lot of theater. I'm a patron in addition to having my own theater company. Um, And when I go, I don't see a a lot of diversity represented on stage, to be frank, to be truthful. And I definitely don't see a lot of diversity in the audience. And so I haven't figured out exactly what the cure for that is, but I'm working diligently to fix that because I think art is supposed to be for everyone. It's supposed to be inclusive. And on stage, especially with Shakespeare, you have the opportunity for colorblind casting. There's no reason to... I think, not have it with Shakespeare. Um, for example, even with King Lear, one of his daughters is is black, one of them is white. Um, it doesn't matter. It just really doesn't matter. And so I, I, for my casting, I'm more concerned with can you act the piece than what you look like. And then for our audiences, I think in Detroit, especially with all the, the changes that are happening in the city, we need opportunities to be able to sit together and experience something together um, despite race, despite age, despite economic status. And I think theater is the perfect opportunity for that, for you to come together in an audience and they have this common experience. It's necessary. It's not an or, it's an and. And I think oftentimes the arts are often overlooked when people talk about the rejuvenation of this city. They often mention tech or food or these other industries, and no one considers the arts. And the fact of the matter is people may come here for a job, but if you want to keep them, you have to give them experiences. And 90% of those experiences comes from art. Yes. The NEA applauds that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's always fascinating to me when, when I go to and I watch panels and people talk about, and you can't see me, Joe, but I'm using quotation marks, the rejuvenation of Detroit And I don't hear the arts mentioned. I'm baffled because people don't go to New York City because Wall Street is cool. They go because they want to experience the arts. They're going to Broadway. They're going to that cool museum. They're going to that awesome outdoor performance. They're not going because they want to check out the financial district. And I think that um, if we want to have a healthy, thriving city, the arts needs to be at the top of the list. You know, and I think it's all too often overlooked that artists themselves are hard-working professionals. Exactly. that That's the truth. And um, artists, obviously I'm one myself, but artists are some of the, the hardest-working people, and it's it's a skilled trade just like any other skilled trade. These, these people go to school for what they do, and they train very hard. Before people even see us on stage, we've already rehearsed for six to eight weeks. We've already had costume fittings. We had to conceptualize a set and what makes sense for the space that we're performing it in. We had to come up with the dollars to do it. We had to figure out how many servants were needed in this scene, how many attendants were needed in this scene, how many stage props we need for that scene. It's There really is a me- mechanics to producing these shows. It's, it's more than just pretend. This is real life, what's happening. The pretend happens on stage, but the real life happens behind the scenes. And we're as as relevant an industry as any industry that's out there, period. And typically art is populated by people like yourself who are willing to put everything on the line in order to do it. Yeah, and it's and that's the truth. And I'm not in any sort of way trying to uh, martyr myself because it just is what it is. If whenever you're starting something, especially Um, Because this city is very unique, Joe. It's a melting pot, but it's not. I mean, we have a really wonderful, eclectic mix of artists here in the city. And and being an artist, I'm kind of in the mix of that anyway. But the demographic is still very interesting because you still have a a state that's very segregated. The the population in Detroit is still pretty much 80% black. And then most of the kind of the 
the rest of the population of Michigan is scattered here, scattered there, scattered here, scattered there. So I'm always in, in other theater artistic directors or executive directors are trying to figure out a way. How do we get the people who live here and the people who don't live in this city to all come together to see this play? Because oftentimes, and I've met people who live in Michigan but have never been into the city before. And so how do we get all of these people with all of these different experiences to come together? And how do we let them know that despite all the differences that you think are there, which are just illusions, but how do you, how do we get all of these different people with all of these different ideas about what Detroit is to come to Detroit and experience Shakespeare. I, I'm considering myself now an anthropologist because I have a lot of digging to do to figure out exactly how do we keep going and growing. The um, demographic is changing. How do we change with it? But what is it now? It, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, Joe. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. It must be gratifying in some ways for you to be able to do this in your hometown. It is. It's really cool. I'm I'm always excited and I love it too when people ask me where I'm where I'm from and I get to tell them Seven Mile because I think Eminem has made Eight Mile really popular, but Seven Mile <laughs> is cool too. And um yeah, it's gratifying. I, I think, you know, people sometimes leave home and, and they do great things elsewhere, but I've I've always been the type of person who thought you have to take care of home first. And so it's thrilling that I get to take something that I thought was torture at first, uh Shakespeare and something that I love now and, and do it at home and then for people to show up it's just it's just a treat and it's also a challenge for me because now I have I'm accountable I have to continue to create these awesome shows and continue to make them accessible to people who are from seven mile like me and people who are from places far far away it's it's really beautiful and for me even though I'm not the person on stage anymore performing it's the art of, of creating something that never existed before and I'm just I'm in complete gratitude. It's really awesome. Cranes Magazine named you one of Detroit's 40 under 40 last year. So congratulations on that. Thank you. But at the same time, and I really don't mean to get personal, but yeah. you had to give up your apartment and you drained your savings account. I did. Exactly. And even though I'm, I'm, I'm still young, let me tell you, I do like to be comfortable. I like having oh, my yeah. own bed and I, I like having my own apartment. And so I've given up a lot for this theater company, but I have especially because I, I've seen the quality of work that we've produced and the audiences have come out for us. It's all been worth it. It's all been worth it. And for Cranes to have me be on the list for the 40 Under 40 was really cool because I was the only, I wasn't the, I wouldn't, maybe they consider themselves artists, so I don't want to say that. But to be someone who's a kind of blatantly doing something artistic, it's just wonderful. There were folks from the medical field and, and from the technological fields. And then there was there was me with the Shakespeare Company. And I just thought that was pretty um wonderful and radical for an artist to be on the list and especially doing something like Shakespeare. Very cool. And you also gave a TEDx talk. I did. Now, that that was a dream come true because I love TEDx and I love TED Talks. And so I did the talk. I did it with with my King Lear, Peter Knox, and I was able to use one of my favorite quotes from King Lear, an admirable evasion of poor master man to lay his goatish disposition on the charge of a star. And um, I got to talk about destiny and creating your own, your own life, being an artist and, and kind of painting all the scenes of your own life and, and talking to people about how powerful we all are. Because I'm living my dream. I, the dream hasn't come to full fruition, but um, it's happening. And that's, 
that's cool and that's awesome and I hope that other people see me because there's really nothing extraordinary about me except the fact that I just don't give up and so if I can do it then they can too so that was that was a pleasure and an honor I was happy to be there that's lovely Sam thank you thank you I love what you're doing thank you that was Sam White she's the founder and artistic director of Shakespeare in Detroit you can find out more about the company at shakespeareindetroit.com. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. The Artworks podcast is posted each Thursday at arts.gov. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.